Welcome back to the New Growth Podcast. Today, we are continuing with the theme of embracing yourself. We have here with us today one of my dear friends, Naya Flores Toussaint. He is a social justice practitioner, a theologian, a husband, and just an all-around awesome human being. Welcome, Naya. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, Yvonne, on the New Growth Podcast, the best podcast that is. Uh, hey. <laughs> Um, okay, so Naya, I know who you are, but take some time to tell the world who you are. Sure. Yes, my name is Naya Flores Toussaint. I'm currently in Chicago um, by way of New York, by way of Miami, and, where, and then I was born in New Jersey, um, in Lawrence, New Jersey, where I grew up, uh, did K through 12 there. Um, I'm a Capricorn. And I, um, I, I find myself um, in my work at the intersections of uh, faith and global politics. So I always am looking at how people are motivated by their faith in their politics, um, most specifically in regards to um, anti-Blackness, racism, xenophobia, um, and uh, how we can be inspired by our faith. Um, to do social justice and to do um, a much greater work in the world. Mm, mm. So where do you, what inspired you to get into this work? Mm, I think various things. Um, I was raised in the church uh, for all of my life. Um, I was in the church almost every day and I totally enjoyed it in that nurtured um my spirituality. Um, also, my family is Haitian, and there were so many traditions that were um, jam-packed with spirituality in our family. And um, another part of my family is African-American from um, the rural South, um, and it was the same thing there. Um, so even inside, in, inside and outside of the church, um, I was experiencing spirituality um, and, and that was informing me as a person. And then at 12 years old, um, I was uh, given the opportunity to travel through Europe uh, by myself with uh, 40 other 12-year-olds from all over New Jersey um, for three weeks. Um, and that really exposed me to my love for the nations and love for the international system, learning different cultures, um, and, um, and really um, creating that space for humanity to connect across borders. Mm, wow. So much there. So much there. I want to dive into more of where you are in this moment in your life. But before we dive in, I want to ask you a question. How's your hair doing? Ooh, my hair. My hair is doing good. It is in a season of letting it be. Um, I have a good friend who, who said that to me. She said she was just going to let her hair be. Um, and 
um, at that time, I was like really into cutting my, getting a haircut every week. And that was my form of self-care. And I loved it. And I still love getting haircuts. Um, but I, in, what year was that? That was the beginning of 2020. I was working with some youth. And we all loved getting haircuts and, you know, getting, um, ensuring our waves were right and all of this stuff. And then at one point, we just kind of all decided to grow out our hair. Um, And ever since then, I've just kind of been growing out my hair with those youth, um, letting it be and and really um, just practicing self-care with my hair from twisting it like every week and, you know, twisting it out um, and just like touching every follicle of my hair. Um, and, and also like saying, I'm going to let my hair be no matter what society says about my big fro or my, cur- my, you know, curly hair, my nappy hair, whatever they want to call it. Um, and, and I've really been enjoying that. And I guess the pandemic, helped me not have to go to the barber shop um, <laughs> but but it, it was it was it has been an enjoyable um, journey and relationship with my hair in this season um, and to just like keep people keep asking me so what's the goal of, of like what are you trying to do with your hair are you trying to lock it are you trying to you know get braids or whatever and I'm just like no I'm just letting it be um, and practicing self-care with my hair. Um, so it's been a great, my hair is great and it's it's been doing great things for me. Mm. That's so powerful because, um, you know, as a black man, there's so much policing around, similarly to black women, around your hair and mm-hmm. the poli- there's the politics of hair. And um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I remember just, Backstory, Naya and I were former co-workers. That's how we know each other. But I, I, I just love the freedom and the journey that you have been on with your hair. Um, awesome. Awesome. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, the, the, the main question I have for you, Naya, today is what have been the ways you have been embracing yourself in this moment? Mm. Yeah, and I think that connects to my hair. Um, I think um, that in this season of embracing myself, I have to talk about um, when I kind of disconnected from myself. Um, And it's actually very interesting because I was disconnecting from myself um, when you and I first met. and I had just gotten married, um, like, what, two months before we met. Um, and we were living at my mom's house in New Jersey because I had not landed a job. I had graduated from grad school um, a couple months before then and was, like, looking for jobs and had applied to, like, 70 jobs and only gotten two interviews. Um and then I got the job where we used to work and um, and I felt I had to take the job in order for my wife and I to be able to, you know, move out of my mom's house and 
um, yeah, start our marriage. Um, but I did not um, want this job. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt that this wasn't the job for me. Um, and it was a sacrifice I had to make for my marriage. Um, but I knew that um, this wasn't the place for me. And I went into this job saying, I'm going to just take this job and keep applying for other jobs um, in order to like get out within six weeks um, before I like really start. <laughs> and because I was going to be like in six weeks of training and then I was going to like really start. And I wanted to get out even before I really started. And so can I just ask you a question? Where did the pressure come from to take this job? You mentioned like being married. What? Yeah. Was that an internal pressure? Where did, where did that come from? No, I think um, I don't necessarily pressure myself. I think it was very mm-hmm. much external. Um, you know, you should have a job. You should start your marriage you know, like in your own place and like you're living with your mom. And and uh, my wife and I, since we've left our house in high school, from high school, we hadn't l- really lived with our parents. Um, you know, like we never really went back home. So it was kind of weird. Now we had master's degrees and we're married and we're living with my mom for two months. Um, and, um, you know, and then the pandemic came and we went back to my mom's house, right? Like, so it's so interesting because society tells you, you should have your own place and this is what a marriage should look like. And you're a young couple and, you know, we wanted to live in New York city and here we are living two hours away in the suburbs of New Jersey. Um, And so it was that societal pressure that was like saying, take this job so that you can be, a good husband and, you know, um, ensure you qualify for the crazy qualifications for New York rent and, and be able to move out of your mom's house. Mm, Gotcha. So you take this job and you don't want this job. And what, what happens next? I fall in love with the youth, um, Mm. that I was serving at, um, at that job. And, they, um, you know, like it was cycle 109. I'm going to call them out by name. Like I still talk to them. We haven't, we, our, our program ended almost two years ago and I still am connecting with them because we had such a deep connection um, mm-hmm. to the point where I was too busy serving them that I couldn't um, apply for other jobs. And I couldn't even see myself like, quitting a job in the middle of their program. Um, And, and yet at the same time, I have to say that my gut was right. um, That my first few days on the job, I was reading through paperwork and, and what I would be doing at the job. And I was in total disagreement. Um, And so what I was feeling about the job before I even walked in, um, and what I mean, like feeling uh, organizationally became true. Um, mm-hmm. And really what it was, was that this job did not align with my convictions and my commitments as a person, even though it was doing work um, for youth that I 
felt was um, necessary. Um, and so you can be doing the work, but the way that you're doing the work may not always align with how others feel the work needs to be done. Um, and mm. so I feel like to be candid, I feel I was um, more committed to the young people I was serving who were court involved and needed radical commitments of love and action of um, of the most inclusive and exhaustive forms of uh, restoration um, that that needed to be done for them. You know, we needed to go not just the extra mile, but the extra 10 miles, because we're talking about Black and Latinx youth. We're talking about the carceral state in the United States. And so we really needed to lay our lives down for these folks. And um, that wasn't always happening, um, I felt. And, and, that's, and that's what I saw in the curriculums that I was teaching and, and, and such things um, the first day I got on the job. Um, so my gut was right, but I knew that these youth were in need and that they were also great people and I could form great connections with them. So I kind of got stuck um, trying to serve people that were looking for my help, um, that were helping me through life, um, but also being in these parameters of, of an organization that wasn't as committed to those youth as I was. Mm. So I hear you saying that you saw an opportunity to not only put yourself in a better position, like with your, with your own family, but then once you got into this space, you were able to see um, the young people and how much restoration, how, how much they needed um, someone to see them and to commit to them. And so as a result, you ended up committing to this organization. Yep. But along the way, I mean, immediately you felt like it wasn't aligned with your personal convictions. Um, and I, I just find that to be interesting because I often wonder, um, do circumstances need to be perfectly aligned for justice to take place. Does no. that make sense? Like Absolutely. And, 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 mm -hmm. and you're right. The same things were happening, right? I had, it, it, these students became family. Like when my mother mm -hmm. and my wife met them at their graduation and their parents met me at their graduation or throughout the time, there was so much language around family. Oh, this mm -hmm. is your son. Oh, this is your brother. Oh, that, you know, to this day, where, oh, where's your son? Where's that? Oh, you're so good to him, right? Oh, he's mm -hmm. so good to you. Oh, you know, um, and, and the children, like the words they had that, you know, these teenagers for my wife, oh, you have such a good husband, right? Like, so there was this interesting dynamic where the, though society and um, was pushing me to commit to something that I didn't agree with, justice was able to sprout. It's almost like um, the flower that is able to, to, to bloom in between the cracks of the sidewalk, right? Oh, it's not mm -hmm. supposed to be there. Yeah, but there's dirt under there. Like we have to remember the earth is still there. And so like the, the mother nature is able to do her work, you know, 
even in the midst of of the capitalistic sidewalk of the you know the gentrifying whatever or you know whatever we have done to destroy this world and to to push out um peace and 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 nature and just what is supposed to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and causing us to need justice right that that does not mean justice can't cannot take place in the cracks of the concrete in in wherever all this pressure is and so that that time when when both became family and um i was creating a family with my wife and and yet also being given a family through the these crazy circumstances in both ways um so it was a beautiful thing it was yeah 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 and so and what i have learned in my journey is that you can be a part of beauty you can create beauty but internally there still be a war mm-hmm. that is um you know that is exhaustive and so especially when it comes to moving forward um justice and so how did you reconcile those two things like there you saw all of these beautiful things happening and youth feeling like they had a family and they had people, not just you, but each other to build with. But you still are feeling conflicted in, in this environment. What did that look like? Um, how did that affect you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think it really all began to affect me when we talk about what it looked like. Um, when we went into the pandemic. Um, so at the same time that we went into the pandemic, speaking about that family and then the youth, right? Um, at the same time we went into the pandemic, my wife got accepted into a PhD program in Chicago. Nice. Yes, yeah, nice. so nice. I love New York though. And so moving halfway across the country to Chicago was shaking to me. And then mm. I'm finding this out in the literally two days before we go into quarantine that we're going to be moving to Chicago in August. And then I'm also going to not have these connections with the youth that I serve um, because we are now going virtual um, and I just won't see them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those, excuse me. <clears throat> so those um, flowers in the concrete, right. Kind of become weeded out, right. Like with the pandemic and then George Floyd's murder. And like, it's kind of, turning into this, how do I pivot and um, begin to go into crisis mode and response? Yet, I'm, I'm, now I'm responding, yet nothing is giving me life anymore, right? Um, and so I began to really see, hey, my job was something that I committed to that I did not want to commit to. Um, and now it's causing so much internally. Um, you know, it's like I'm trying to respond to crises and while everyone is having a crisis and I'm having a personal crisis in my marriage and um, 
and now there's there's no flowers right there's no flowers though there's it's, it's just all concrete <laughs> you know like it's just concrete everywhere it's running into brick walls there's no flowers there's no growth right there's no and i think that growth is always inspiring um you know that new growth is always inspiring um and so not being able to see that and everyone being like oh and even my wife i was so proud of her yet her being accepted with this notion that we also had to move didn't feel like growth for me personally. Um, and so I really began to run into conflicts um, and, and especially at work. Um, and that, that looked like not getting the raise that I was promised, even though I was doing all of this work, um, not feeling valued and for, for the work that I was doing in the midst of a crisis and before a crisis, you know, um, having to, to fight for youth um, and, and being met with resistance for trying to help court-involved youth, you know, at an organization devoted to that. Um, and so internally, I began to really slip into just um, a dark place and, and my mental wellness was just unwell. I was just not there. And, and I think then you also add not only pandemic and disease, but then this, these deaths of black folks. Um, and I, I remember it, it like even impacting me wanting to have children. I was like, Oh, I don't want to have children in this world. You know, that for the first time, 2020, I was like, I don't want children. Um, you know, because mm. I was seeing the injustices not for the first time, but just in a very powerful way. Um, and, um, and it made me really feel that there could be no new growth, even though I was protesting, even though I was walking and helping people every day, you know, um, through, through their, their processing of, of the killing of Black lives, I could not see black life having growth, whether that was the youth that I was serving, whether that was me moving to Chicago as a black man, or whether that was just humanity or my future children in this world, I couldn't see the growth. I couldn't, all I could see was the concrete. Um, and that really just began to weigh on me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I, and I highlight my job because, um, I was, in this, I, I, I was in this place or applying to this job and applying to similar jobs because I felt there could be growth. I felt there could be growth in our world. I felt that there was um, new, newness, right, that could come. Um, and that's what I'm here for, that something new can take place, um, you know, in our spirit and in our politics. Um, so I was really stuck there. Okay. So, wow. So it, when I hear you speak, it sounds like your hope had dwindled mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, going back to the analogy of the flower, you know, yes, I have seen flowers grow from the concrete, but the question is, is that the best condition for them to grow? Exactly. And is it sustainable? Mm -hmm. 
do they run the risk of someone trampling on them because it's right in the middle of a concrete, Mm -hmm. right? And so while it can grow, there are other conditions that the flower can actually thrive in, right? The flower can thrive and and also the environment, because the environment is, um, you know, there's a, the environment is thriving. So, all right. So you're at this place where you feel stuck. You feel like you have, as I call it, um, sort of walked past yourself, missed yourself, right? Um, you know, and you're just in a dark place. What, I mean, when people say dark, what what does that really mean? What did that look like for you? Well, I really didn't, I I didn't, um, I really wasn't aware of the darkness while I was there. Um, It was just so much go, 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 and trying to be that, that survivor in the concrete jungle, literally, you know, and and so I didn't realize where I was because I was fighting, you know, I was fighting for justice. I was fighting for, for um, myself on my job. I was fighting my wife to say like, we're not moving or I'm not going, you know, I was just fighting. So I didn't even realize how dark it had become. Um, and then I got to a point of just being so tired um, because I was fighting and I was literally just tired. And I said, I need a three week vacation from work. And, um, and then on that vacation, I realized, hey, I'm moving at this point to Chicago. And there's a pandemic, there is police brutality. I've made a commitment before humanity, creation and God to my wife. The only thing that I can change in my life that is pressing right now is this job. And that's really what um, led me to quit my job was realizing that I can quit. You know, like society is like, no, you need a job. How, what are you going to do? You're moving or halfway across. Right. I was like, I can like I did not make a vows to this, to, to this job. And there is nothing I can do about the coronavirus. And there is nothing that I can do to these policemen to stop killing us. Right. Like no matter mm-hmm. how much I protest, it's always something else. Um, and so that led me to quit my job. We moved to Chicago, like the same time I quit. And I am and I am just sitting um, in this this new place with my wife, you know, acclimating ourselves, and I realized the darkness that I was in. And it was this time of processing that I became aware of what the darkness looked like. Um, and it was not being able to sleep. I realized how little sleep I was getting. Um, how I was going to bed at 5 a.m. and waking up at at 9. Um, it was this constant running in my um, brain of thoughts, like ruminating thoughts, um, and also feeling like I have to do something. I have to do something. You know, I have to change the world right now um, in a different way, without the peace, without the... Um, 
courage or without the um, boldness that I used to have. Um, and I, I had processed this with that, that job in my exit interview. Um, I, it was the first time in the whole year that I was there that I was able to really say, hey, your lack of commitment to women in, in, on your organization or in your organization, sorry, is affecting me. Like, and I'm a man, and but just to see how you treat women is affecting me. So how bad can it be for them? You know, like, hey, your lack of commitment to your staff salaries is affecting me. Hey, your lack of commitment to the youth you serve is affecting me. And I've got other things that I can't change, like moving to Chicago. And so I got to let go of you, you know, um, and so it was a time of really dealing with all that I had dealt with for a year on that job. Um, and, mm. and so it really became months of me just like sitting in this, um, sitting in a dark place that I was aware of. So sitting in that place and not running in that dark place. And then um, one day my mom said, Naya, are you sleeping? I was like, oh no, Naya, um, you, I'm on the phone with you and I can hear your shortness of breath. I was like, oh wow. She's like, do you remember to breathe? I was like, no. <laughs> you know, um, she's like, Naya. You got a good mom. You got an <laughs> in-tune mother. Right, yeah. And so she said, Naya, I want to let you know I'm experiencing the same things your aunt is experiencing the same things. We're both on medication. Call a doctor. And, um, and so I ended up calling a doctor in about four months after sitting in, in this place of darkness. And, um, you know, I did a anxiety and depression um, survey with the doctor. And they said I had severe anxiety and moderate depression, um, which was fascinating mm. to me, you know, because everyone's like, oh, you're so strong. Oh, you're so bold. Oh, you know, I, I did two masters at the same time, like a year before this and all of that. And like, yeah, but I, I, I came to know that people's ability, right? We talk about ability and disability. Ability is such a temporary thing. At any yeah. moment, our ability can change. Um, and I, I'm i just not able, right? I just was yeah. not able. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Um, wow. And I, I, for, there's so many things you said, but the last part of life is a spectrum of, you know, ability and disability. And I think this, idea that we're always going to be able to do what we once did is just not true. Mm -hmm. There are things I did in my early twenties that I'm like, I don't know how I did that, mm -hmm. but if I was to do that today, I would lose my mind. Yes. Right. And there are just certain things that I don't even try anymore because I recognize there's some limitation there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's with, there's wisdom. It's okay to, understand that in this area, in this season, I was bold, but right now 
I I feel weak mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I need rest. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you said you mentioned mental health, and I want to come back to your journey around um, medication. But you know, for many Black men, mental health is still a taboo topic, mm-hmm. right? It's you know, it's getting more traction. But did you ever feel nervous about coming to terms with your own mental health challenges, like through this process was, you know, how did that feel? Did, was it, yeah. How did, how was that? Uh, I did feel nervous about medication, I will say. So this is my first time on medication. I've been on mm-hmm. medication since um, January. And part of my nervousness was, oh, I'm going to be addicted or, oh, this is going to lead to a problem. Um, and, uh, that I, I voiced that to the doctor. I said, "Mm, I'm afraid it's going to be really hard to get off. And it's so funny because, um, since I've got on, you know, I feel like so much better. I feel like myself. Um, and, um, you know, it took some time. Uh, like I want to do say that it takes like a month to like, um, feel the effects and feel normal again. Um, but um, I was uh, talking to some friends like, hey, you should consider, you know, um, talking to your doctor about this. Um, and it was so interesting because they, these were black folks um, and all of them said, well, I'm worried about getting off. And so they had the same concern that I did. And what's interesting about that is that I've heard this from black folks, but what we are saying is we know it works, right? Like we're saying we know it works to the point where we think Mm. it'll be hard for us to even get off. Um, And so I think Mm -hmm. that that, Mm -hmm. that's something we have to um, consider is that this, the what are the fears that we have around um, medication specifically, um, yes, we may have, um, you know, sometimes addiction or substance misuse is um, inherited and we have to be careful around that. But um, we also are saying in our fears sometimes that we believe that this would work and do something better. And so if we have that, um, that thought, can we bring this, you know, concern to our physicians and say, that's what I did. I said, I'm concerned about this, you know, and she said, okay, thank you. And I understand the cultural, you know, aspects of your concern. Um, And she was an Indian woman. um, And she said, and we're going to work with that. Right. Um, And you don't have to worry about this because this is what it's going to look like. You're going to start with 10 milligrams and you're going to, if you need more, we'll increase it. And then if you are ready to come down after six months, we'll go, we'll go down back to 10 milligrams and then wean you off. Um, and so, you know, I, I've just been thinking about that, that our fear is a confirmation that we believe it works. Um, and we're mm-hmm. just afraid of the back end or we're f- afraid to become dependent on it. Um, and that's okay. You know, that's totally okay for us to feel that way. So 
How did you reconcile your faith mm-hmm. with medication? Mm-hmm. So um, I have to say, though, that um, my mom is a counselor and, you know, she's a certified counselor and all of that. So I was raised in a house that held mental health and faith together. Um, and I think mm-hmm. me personally, on my faith journey, um, especially within the last year, I've just really been investigating the ways that um, those tropes about, you know, oh, you don't need to see a therapist, oh, you don't need medication, um, really just do not match um, the, the culture and the traditions of Black folks. You know, um, we we see therapists, like even if they are not a counselor, we see therapists. My um, hairstylist said he went to school to be a psychologist. Something happened with his financial aid and he was no longer able to attend. And he said to me, but this is my ministry to do people's hair. He said, I am the first therapist many black folks see. So rather than being an altar worker on the altar call on Sundays, he said, I can sit in the chair, you know, in the audience, pray for people and know that that person is going to come into my chair throughout the week and tell me all of their problems while I take care of their hair. Right. And we used to go to the, the um, priestess, right. Of our, our villages and our, our, um, of our communities, whether we were in the Caribbean or, you know, on the Western coast of Africa, we, we would go to these people, tell them our problems and seek out spiritual advice and seek out, you know, um, mental wellness from them and also receive medication, you know, like the medicine that we have today are just extractions of different natural materials. Right. Um, and yet before this, we were making teas and remedies that had the, the, the 100% ingredient, right? Um, and, and we're taking those things for, for our mental well-being and our health. So I, I feel that because of the way I was raised in a home that held both of these things together, I was more open to see for myself that this whole thing that, oh, oh just ignore... Um, ignore your mental health or, um, oh, just give it to God in, in a very, without action, you know, without really diving deep. Um, because I, I think that becomes very dismissive, the, oh, just cast your cares. Oh, the, like the way we do it. No, it's not, we don't even pray for people. Like when we're doing like, and, and I mean, like, we don't pray deeply for people who are going through things. Um, and everyone is going through something. And, and like, we, have to see that that in in the in this post pandemic world we all were shut in we all were sick and shut in like you know whether it was mentally physically or 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 um you know emotionally like this pandemic was a great equalizer it 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 took away all of our ability we all were doing the same thing you know um and yet we we aren't um praying for the sick and shut in, we aren't allowing them to get the help that they need 
when this is a part of our culture. We we love going to the hairdresser and and talking, right? We love even the barbershop. Men go to the barbershop and talk. So like if you go to the barbershop and you can listen to somebody else's story or you can sit in that chair and think about your own week or you can actually vocalize your own issues to your barber, you can go to a therapist, right? If mm. if you are able to drink whatever your grandma gave you when you were sick or, you know, whatever the oil, my grandma would put oil on my chest, castor oil, right? Louis Mascariti, when I was sick, you're able to, to explore if a physician's help um, with your mental health or whatever sickness or whatever, you know, um, ability issues you may be facing, um, that how, how that physician can help you. And, and so we do this. It is a myth that, that these spaces aren't for us because they are. They're just a little bit different and we haven't been invited into them. So we've created spaces for ourselves or we've used the spaces that we've always had, I should say. Um, but we also um, can use these other spaces that our jobs are giving us insurance money for and all of that stuff um, to ensure that we are our best selves. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Wow. Powerful, powerful. So um, where are you now? You know, you you sort of left the job, you um, started taking medicine, you're in Chicago. Where are you now? Do you feel like you have fully embraced yourself or you're still, I mean, I think it's definitely a process, but yeah, where are you? Yeah. Um, I feel like I am running back to self, right? Um, and there was a song that my mom, I know I'm giving my mom lots of shout outs today. She's going to be so proud. Um, but there was a song that my mom used to um, dance to um, as, a, as a praise dancer um, called Running Back to You by Commissioned. Um, and I actually just want to read um, some parts of it. Um, and then... Um, so the, the, the chorus of this song says, and I'm running back to you. I see you're standing there for me. Your arms are open wide and I don't have to cry no more. You're standing there for me and I am running back to you. Why did I go away when I know I am no good when I am on my own? And so I, I really, um, think this song and these lyrics, though they're, you know, typically sung about a backslidden Christian or whatever, running back to God, um, really just speak to where I am. Um, and, and I really just have been rethinking these lyrics um, because there's harm, I think, um, in, in thinking that we are just so muddled and sinful and just a mess and and all of this and we've run so far from God and and God is so far away and now we're running back to God um there, there's harm in that because God is everywhere <laughs> you know like God is with you and running with you um and God was in my darkness right um and 
I think what um, this song has been, spe- but I, I I love this song, right? I love it. It means so much to me. And so, what this song has been speaking to me, um, you know, in regards to embracing um, the fullness and the love uh, of God, um, is embracing the fullness and love of what God has put inside of me. Is what God has created as myself, the little boy that was with me, the teenager that was with me, the young adult that is with me now, um, and uh, understanding that all of those um, parts of me um, were created out of experiences, were created with convictions and um, commitments um, that I feel God has placed in me, that I feel I have formed um, based on my experiences, and so when I walk away from self, um, I am wa- in some ways walking away from God's plan, right? I, I am walking away from something I have with, with, with um, my God, you know, and I take that very seriously. So when I took that job, I feel I was walking away from self. I was walking, you know, away from those commitments and such things. And so now I have to um, walk back to self, right? Re-embrace self. And, and, and I think it's less about distance and more about um, the, the, the touch, right? Like you can run all the way 20 miles to see someone and not touch them, right? Or you could walk two feet and touch someone. Right. Um, And so I think, as I said, God is everywhere. So it's not about me running a long distance, but it's about me re-embracing this God, this self that has been with me along the way. Um, So it's about me touching those um, commitments again, me um, touching those uh, convictions again, because they have been with me all along the way because they are me they are a part of me um they are who i am and so it's those touch points um and we're so icky and iffy about touch in this country and and yet we need to touch right we need to touch ourselves and we need to be in tune with ourselves and so that's what i am doing in running back to myself it's this running into touch um it's less about distance and more about touching those things that were pushed aside, that were um, not validated, that were seen as crazy, that were, you know, all of these things that, that, that were taken from me um, and pulled away from me, yet couldn't go too far um, mm-hmm. and, still, and still loved me while I was trying to perform for what the song says, worldly thirst, right? And worldly Mm -hmm. thirst does not quench. So it's like, I got to get back and I might need some medication Mm -hmm. to get back because this Mm -hmm. world is crazy. (laughs) You know, it's crazy. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. So rich. I'm learning so much that part of embracing yourself is learning to touch those convictions, touch those commitments that have always been with inside of you, that God has actually placed in in you. 
I love that song too. And I am running. Yes, sing okay. it. Yes, yes. Like you can sing it, not me, not me. Okay. Well, Naya, this has been so wonderful to hear your journey of embracing yourself. Before you go, you have blessed us, encouraged us with your story. How can we support you? Yes. So you, of course, can follow me online. I would love to see your faces um, and, you know, hear your thoughts. Um, I am at N-E-G-T-O-U-S-S-A-I-N-T. Um, I also would love for you all to follow um, the organization that I support currently, which is I N. C-U-L-T-U-R-E-D Co. So in Cultured Co. So uh, where you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and also, um, if you would like to do something tangible, In Cultured Company is um, fundraising uh, $20,000 at this uh, moment for Dominicans of Haitian descent in the Dominican Republic who have been stripped of their citizenship because of their blackness, because of their Haitianness by the Dominican government. Um, and we are raising legal funds for them to fight to regain their citizenship and their human rights. Um, and so if you would like to uh, donate $5 or however much, um, Please visit us at Incultured Co. Um, the links are in our bios and you can donate and we would great, greatly, 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 greatly appreciate it. We know people on the ground who are already benefiting from um, our services and our legal fund. Um, and so please consider supporting these Black folks who are very vulnerable um, now, as we know the Caribbean is in a volatile place um, from Puerto Rico all the way to Cuba. Um, we are seeing just violence everywhere. And so please consider supporting us in that way. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much, Naya, for um, sharing your journey with us. There are so many gems we're walking away with. Uh, we appreciate you and we're excited for where you are going and who you are becoming. Thank you so much for having me, Yvonne. I love new growth. Everyone like, follow Yvonne and New Growth Podcast. Big shout out. Shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> yes to what he said. I would love it if you could, after this episode, leave us a review. Let us know what you thought about it. And like and subscribe. If there's someone you know that could benefit from hearing Naya's story, go ahead and share this episode with them. All right, that's it for this week, and I hope you were inspired to produce new growth in your life. Take care.